10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bowman. Coming up a little bit later, going to be joined by a special guest, A-State head bowling coach Justin Kostick will be joining us his team getting ready for their 15th consecutive trip to the NCAA tournament they'll be playing in the regional round yeah in Rochester New York coming up later this week so I'm just uh I mean obviously duh we're pulling for them but I, I personally I just want so badly for that program to win a national championship not for the obvious reasons but to just they literally have done everything else yeah there, there is only one box that program hasn't checked and that's you'll know, be in the national champion and, and it could have come in any number of years this one included so man i hope this is the one sooner or later it's got to happen yeah. right we're going with the doofer theory <laughs> doofer <laughs> yes we're definitely due for a national championship so we'll visit with coach Costic coming up here in the next few minutes meanwhile a state baseball with a busy past week they were on the road for four games and played well thought uh, overall had a pretty good week went to conway on tuesday ended up defeating uca by the score of 10 to 7 couple of big innings in that game had a five run fifth a five run eighth ended up winning 10 to 7 so you split the season series with uca it's good to return the favor to somebody right where uca is like daggum we put up seven zeros on the board and got beat 10 7 it's going to be on the other side of that yeah well it had happened to us against james madison absolutely in the sunday game before eight zeros and Mm -hmm. gave up nine runs yeah lost nine to four in ten but Thought they bounced back very nicely with that win at UCA. Good to see the offense do some good things. And they go into Texas State over the weekend, and Texas State, the defending Sunbelt Conference champions, they were picked second in the preseason poll, off to a good start this season. And we played them to three one-run games, and it was a very good college baseball series. A lot of good things to take out of this. Still, you kind of look back and wonder, what if? And the main what if is, what if the Red Wolves had just one of their top guys on the back end of the bullpen healthy? Kevin Wiseman has been out most of the season. He's still trying to get right. And then Tyler Jeans, who just recently has moved from the Friday night starter role to the back end of the bullpen, wasn't able to go this past weekend. Hopefully, they'll have him back this week. But It was a made-for-Tyler-Jeans situation on Friday night. Had them down to their final strike, not once but twice in the ninth inning on Friday. You just shut up because you're just trying to – What? It's just like like this is a test. And it's like you hadn't clued into how you're testing me. (laughs) But you're testing me. And so I'm not going to take the bait. Okay. We'll let you continue talking about them being down to their, the team from Texas being down to their last strike. Uh, or, oh, stop uh, it. Don't do it. <laughs> We're not going to go down that route. This, this is not going to turn into 
to 2011. Go but, ahead. And I can't believe you brought that up. <laughs> Actually, I can't believe you brought that up. But uh, I'm telling you, if you know some of the other things I'm involved in, I take it so easy on you in that regard. It's not even funny. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. I got to hear it from you and Mark Taylor all the time. Anyway, so Texas State was down to its up last one in, yep. Up one in the ninth. They score on a wild pitch. A runner scores from third. Tried to dive to make the tag, and it was just late. You go to extra innings, take the lead on a squeeze play. Really well executed. Blake Burris gets the bunt down, and Braden Kasky, who was pinch running, comes in and scores from third. It was actually called out live, but fortunately, we've got replay now in Sunbelt Conference games. And it was overturned. They got it right. You're up 7-6. to six. Going to the bottom of the 10th, they're able to walk it off with the two-spot in the bottom of the 10th. I got to give this team a whole bunch of credit. When things had gone the way they'd been going, and at that point you had dropped 10 out of 11 after you didn't win on Friday night, and to lose that way. And it's like every little thing that comes up, this team pays for. Every error they pay for, and it ends up three or four unearned runs. Tyler Jeans, shoulder tight, you pay for it. It's like everything. It's like not only does bad stuff happen, but it happens with a big time price tag every time. And so to and to not get bogged down by that and come back and and not just win the game Saturday, which we'll get to behind a great start, but give yourself a phenomenal chance to win on Sunday. I got I tip my hat to those dudes for uh, for battling back. Yeah, Saturday phenomenal start from kyler carmack and we we keep talking about him yep. every week and we're going to keep talking about him because uh this redshirt freshman out of cabot has been fantastic and he goes up against a really good offense on saturday and holds him scoreless for the first six innings and in the seventh he leaves the game the base is full one out they end up scoring a run then hitting a three-run home run after that Kyler ends up getting charged with three earned runs and six and a third. That wasn't anywhere near (laughs) indicative of just how well he pitched. But it was a second straight quality start. And look, it's 5-4 after 7. And you're thinking, especially after the night before, man, can we hold on? Well, listen, I'm listening to you. Yeah. Right? I'm in the car listening in this stretch of game. And I could hear it. You know, we've been together a long time. I could hear it in your voice. I'm feeling the same way. It might be 5-4 Arkansas State, but you feel like you're behind in that game. Yeah, it did because you knew the situation in the back end, and you knew you already threw some guys there last night. You knew you weren't able to hold on a couple of times the night before, and you knew Tyler Jeans wasn't available again. And we turn to Jacob Conover, who really hasn't been used a whole bunch, especially in situations like that. He comes in fires two scoreless innings, gets the save, and we win it 5-4. to four. Awesome. I mean, just, uh, hey, let's say if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Then on Sunday, uh, another good ball game. We got down early 5 nothing, and it was really the free bases that hurt us. Gave up six walks uh, in the first three innings, and they're able to score five runs on two hits in the first three innings. To go up 5 nothing, but we come back, scored a couple in the fourth, couple in the fifth, made it a one-run game, end up losing the game 7-6. to six. Brandon Hager with two home runs in that one. He had three home runs on the weekend. It's good to see Daedric Kale kind of break out. He had a 
two-run home run, also an RBI single in that one. But, again, three games decided by one run, and Texas State ends up taking two out of three. You just hope there's some some carryover. I mean, not just the series, but the week the week as a whole. You know, two and two yeah. week. That I'm telling you, I mean, you saw it was a was a player two away from being a four and zero week. And I was talking about it with Tommy Raffo, both on the air and then again off the air. As soon as we got off the air yesterday, he said, "Look, we played at a different level." this week than we have been and i think he was encouraged by that so hopefully they can build on that going forward elsewhere in a state athletics this past week tennis team dropping their matches at old dominion and james madison women's golf was in fresno california they played at the fresno state classic ended up finishing 10th out of 15 teams in that event and they're actually playing, as we record this, uh, wrapping up play on Tuesday at the ULM Women's Invitational, and that's the final regular season event for the that, women's golf team. Uh, that trip out to Fresno, I was talking with Coach MJ Davey and Shaw. They got in nine holes, or a nine-hole course on the grounds at the TPC Harding Park where Colin Morikawa won the PGA Championship a couple of years Is ago. Is that right? They went into San Francisco and – played nine holes on their trip out there meanwhile the track and field teams were busy they're all over the place and this is the way they do things they go to meets in different places and they were in austin birmingham and st louis uh this past weekend as always we'll give you the winners <laughs> a lot of great finishes but uh imar palmasimo wins the men's hammer throw Colby Adows wins the men's long jump. Lassa Funk wins the men's 1500. Lassa Funk. I like that. That is good. Yeah. We, we can have fun with that one. Evangeline Harris wins the women's discus. Salace Sampram wins the women's shot put. Sydney Lane, the women's high jump. The winner. old Rivercrest Colt, Sydney Lane. By the way, Jeremy Walker with the uh, win in the men's 400 meters. Noah McMurtry wins the men's 1500. Pauline Meyer breaks her own school record in the women's 3000 meter steeplechase. And Tyra Neighbors wins the 100 meter hurdles. It goes back to when Miles was in here a couple of weeks ago. And, and, you know, as you said, it's this part of the season, they get spread out. I mean, Literally, the only time you take your team and go compete as a team is, you know, from the conference championship on. Yeah. Uh, it's a unique sport that track and field is. And he'll finally be able to hang out with his teammates again <laughs> once yeah, they get to the Sun Belt. I mean, you have team meetings and whatnot, but like I say, you really don't even practice together because you're practicing with people and you're kind of your discipline, sprinters or long distance runners or the fields, throwers. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's all these little segments that come together. And boy, when they come together, do they do a lot of winning. We'll be back with A-State. Bowling coach Justin Kostick right after this on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinished the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave? This place has given you all you've dreamed of and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. And we welcome you back as we switch our attention now to A-State Bowling, who later this week will be heading to 
Rochester, New York, to make their 15th consecutive appearance in the NCAA tournament. And we'd like to welcome in the head coach of the bowling team now, Justin Kostick. How you doing, Justin? Doing great. Thanks for having me. 15 straight. What does that uh, mean to you? What's that mean to this program? I would say that it's obviously we're a, you know, a stable program and having a chance to win the national championship every year. I mean, I was talking about the other day, uh, it is getting, even though the field has expanded to 17 teams now, technically, because um, we have one plan. You know, when I was first doing this, it was eight teams. Yeah. And I felt like it was when it was eight teams, though, it was probably a little, I don't want to say easier, but lack of a better word, but it, I felt like it was a little easier to make it just because of the quality of depth of the programs weren't as good as they are today. Like we had kind of like a, in our sport, we kind of had like a divide between the NCAA and then the governing body was running. They still do. They run college bowling on that side with a lot of the NAIA schools. And so you were getting, when I first started here, I would say still probably the bulk of the talent of the best talent was coming NCAA when I first started, but it was still about 50-50 in the overall bulk of the talent. Like the elite of the elite was still going NCAA because of, you know, scholarship money opportunities and stuff like that in bigger universities. But over the course of time now, we're basically getting more and more and more and more where it's probably we're getting about 90% of the bulk of the best players, you know, when it was kind of, like I said, towards 50-50 or 60-40. And so that has obviously expanded those middle-tier teams to be a lot better. And, you know, and so that has made it where there is more um, parity in the team aspect of stuff. So, you know, for example, I mean, my team was going into Nebraska. We were fifth in RPI. But if we had a bad event, we could have dropped to – 10th or 11th like say we went five and eight or something you know and um we obviously went on a pretty good run or 26 and three in our last you know 29 matches to kind of get us and that actually got us around nebraska by one win it was a one win difference in rpi between being the three seed and the four wow. seed. and you know we went on a like i said a pretty big uh run there they could have looked at other categories and we might have still been around them for the three C, but if you wanted to just, it, a lot of times they go strictly like RPI for stuff, and we got around Nebraska by one win. So you're the three overall three seed overall. out of seventeen that got in. Correct. And how many Division One bowling teams are there total now? Division One, there's about f just short of forty. I think it's thirty eight or thirty nine. But the D one, D two, D three are combined, so there's like ninety two or ninety three okay. now. Yeah. So, seven, so seventeen out of ninety two get to go. Yeah. Because it stayed, you know, the tournament stayed eight forever, and you kept making it at eight, and there were no seedings. I always said, like, the watch party, the selection show used to be the most boring thing because they're going to say eight names. They're going to say it alphabetically. Arkansas State was first. And so, like, at 301, it's like, well, okay. That, well, so on to the next thing. Well, we used to also at the championship, there was no seeding <laughs> partly because we would seed at the championship. Yeah. And so that has obviously changed. They went from best four out of seven matches to mega matches. So at least now when you're playing head-to-head, -head, it's a lot longer, which allows – a better chance for the team who's better to win, which I like the mega matches a lot better than just the <laughs> sheer best four out of seven. Um, just because it gives, you know, the, like I said, in our sport, the longer 
longer it goes, the better chance the team that makes better shots is going to win, and there's no defense. So I like playing longer. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, it was not as um, suspenseful when you were doing that aspect of stuff. And, you know, we're we're starting to see, you know, and I'm not a – obviously, we've had growth getting to 92 teams, which was part of the reason why, you know, because before we never had – uh, automatic qualifiers and and I'm not a big fan of automatic qualifiers obviously I know that they happen in almost every sport in the NCAA the reason why I wasn't a big fan of it is not that I don't think that they should happen it just I thought in some aspects when you have automatic qualifiers where pretty much every team has the capability of playing each other as much you know where you know, we have like a hundred and some matches and we go to the East. So there's a lot of cross reference in our sport where you're not getting like basketball or soccer or these other sports where you have 350 teams and you have no cross reference. You have no way of determining necessarily that Florida Atlantic or San Diego state is the best team in the country because they ain't able to play all the teams from the sec or the big East or whatever. So I understand automatic qualifiers more from that aspect of stuff. In, in my opinion, like I said, lack of a better word, and Brad knows, and you guys know I don't use much coach coach speak much. <laughs> you know, I looked at automatic qualifiers as charity. You know, that's just giving charity away to a team who's not as good when we're pretty much all playing each other. But I will say, look at both sides, I will say that the one thing that automatic qualifiers has done is, is it has allowed for more – ADs or athletic directors to kind of look at bowling and add bowling and because they feel like they have a chance to get in. So it has helped grow the sport in that regard some. It still hasn't moved fast enough, but we may be seeing some growth because, you know, the Southland Conference is not going to exist anymore and we're going to be in Conference USA and Jacksonville State is adding bowling. So there's going to be three schools in Conference USA that are actually members of Conference USA. We're going to go to conference usa because we got a um i don't know if this is but we're going to go to conference usa and i can't comment on one part that's possibly happening but or that is happening but anyhow um, um come on no i can't do that <laughs> uh, I, I mean I, I i i don't give much coach speak but uh, i can't comment on that part till it's announced and i don't believe it's been announced yet but anyhow um with the conference usa of having three teams that are affiliated actually in the conference not Tulane us Vandy who are all going to join you're going to have Sam Houston La Tech and Jacksonville State next year all part of it you could see a trickle down effect growth of maybe where Florida International Middle Western so you start getting some teams in Conference USA to add and then you could see some growth possibly in the sport and the one thing about Conference USA is they have the only female commissioner so there could be some aspects of a push towards because we need a little bit of a bump in growth in Division 1 growth and that's where we We've kind of lacked a little bit. You did win the Southland Conference bowling tournament, the last one to be held here in the last couple of weeks. And you came from behind to do it, to beat Sam Houston State. Hey, you mentioned the Megan matches, and it kind of made me think of other sports, whether it be basketball or hockey or baseball. You have those best-of-seven series. So the longer it goes, the best team has that chance to win. And you had that chance to do that and and come back and win the Southland Conference Tournament. I'm going to jump in here to back it up just from a point of reference for people because you had an issue, I know, a lot of times when when it only got to be the Baker format. So basically you go through a seven-game 
match with somebody and your best bowler will have bowled 14 frames in the entire match and used to be that could be all you got correct now they're in the mega match it's divided into kind of three components it's one where everybody gets up there and bowls an entire game traditional game and yes. you total it up and that's a point mm-hmm. then you go best of five in the baker correct of total pinfall not not a where a bowler bowls the first and sixth second and seventh so on and so forth so all you got your whole lineup combining for one score there's best of five of that for a point if you win both points it's over but if not then you turn around and go baker again for seven games correct so my issue that happened when it was just best four out of seven you're playing a match of probably an hour to an hour and 20 minutes right and so in most if you want to play, which I totally disagree with a lot of people who compare us to football, basketball, and baseball because we don't have any defense, but that's what a lot of these other coaches try to compare us to or people try to compare us to. Yeah. And so, and with, like I said, no D. So if you're going to play a match, though, at least you need to create a match that lasts as long as another sport, which, you know, if you go to a basketball game or a baseball game or a football game, it's usually a two and a half hour, three hour ordeal, right? I know there's a halftime or whatever, but so you have some type of aspect. So the mega match, you know, a mega match can go about three and a half hours if you go to the best four out of seven or whatever. So that part I like. And another reason why I don't like four out of seven and this is where even mega matches have some flaws is is you're bowling on one pair so you're bowling the only thing that you're bowling against is the oil pattern and the pins right you are no defense so when you get a point right so if i win the team game by a hundred pins they drop all those pins so then i could lose the five game baker match by one pin i'm beating them by 99 but it's one to one and this is where i the best four out of seven is horrible <laughs> i mean it's just it's completely that's why i don't like it is is okay so if i shoot 250 and my opponent shoots 150 i'm up by 100 if i shoot 199 and they shoot 200 they beat me and it's one to one but i'm beating them by 99 <laughs> pins because you're doing start restart start restart yeah. so i call it scratch handicap is what i call it you know in bowling you have handicap yeah. well i call it scratch handicap because every time you restart and restart you're allowing for the team who's not as good to have a chance that being said at least the mega match plays for three, three and a half hours. It was something that I was complaining because I wanted to play pinfall like golf because I believe bowling is like golf the most. So I wanted to add them up for three days. You know, you play for five hours each day or whatever, and whoever knocks down the most pins wins. But obviously that's not as exciting and boring. And, you know, one time the chair of the committee for bowling, his name is Jeff McCorvey. He's no longer coaching anymore at Alabama A&M, but he owns the most pro shops in the country. He's got like 95 pro shops. It's called Bowler's World. He's got them all over Alabama, Virginia, whatever. So Jeff, big bowling guy, and he knows that pinfall is the best way to determine who's best. He's been in bowling his whole life. He lives in Huntsville, Alabama. And I wrote him a letter when he was the chair of the committee comparing Baker to a scramble in golf and the start restart stuff is handicap and you know you're penalizing you know the better teams to try to create parity and yada 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 and so it, anyhow he he came back at me saying well I don't have your budget and all this other stuff and and I said, okay, I understand where you're coming from, even though I believe that's an institutional choice. And, you know, when I first started here, the budget wasn't very good. I mean, I can tell you that right now. We were driving buses that are breaking down in Chicago. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the program has come a long way since I first started here. But anyhow, we're bowling Louisiana Tech in a match at our home tournament because I had sent him this 
when he was the chair of the committee. And I sent him this letter. And, and so we're both in Louisiana Tech, and a girl named Rachel Giddings was playing anchor for me at that time. And she needs a double in the 10th to beat them, and she gets it. But we're up on them for the weekend by 1,200 pins, right? <laughs> but she has to double in the 10th, and he comes over to me, and he goes, see, wasn't that exciting for the fans? And I responded back to him, what fans? Like, we got parents here. Ain't nobody paying. I was like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I mean, obviously, in other sports, when you start playing head-to-head and doing things, I mean, once again, I don't like March Madness. I mean, it's a one game. It doesn't. This tournament doesn't tell you. I, I wouldn't say that UConn or San Diego State is necessarily the best teams in the country. You don't know. But they're selling out for what I would call sports entertainment, and you're selling out for obviously it has to do with capitalism and money, you know, and mm. you're not necessarily finding out who the best team is. I want to find out if there's not an aspect of money on the line. I obviously want to find out who the best is. Why are we sacrificing the sport when we're not? finding out who the best is obviously when you're talking about livelihoods and living and stuff like that there are other factors that play involved but you know this i was always just like there's not paying fans you so, know what i mean so what, what are we doing here with that said i got you off trash we'll go back to the the south and i was talking about the from an emotional standpoint you know here you're going through and all the things you said are in play and yet so You've got no more margin for error. You're down 3-1 in the finals, and the only way to win the, the Southland title is to rattle off three straight wins, and that's what you guys do. So I brought them aside in that match because you could kind of tell that they were – we hadn't won a tournament all year. I mean, we kind of won Nebraska, but we didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But we hadn't won a tournament all year, and um, kind of just see that they were trying to make it happen. And so I went over to them, and we called a little meeting, and I was like, hey – you guys are trying to make this happen. I said, you need to let it happen. And all of a sudden, I kind of got them calmed down, and we win game five on the left lane, bowled pretty good. Game six, we win on the right lane, and I chose the right lane in the five-game Baker match because we were ahead, and I chose it was the wrong lane to choose, actually, because I thought the left lane was getting like the match before the day before the left lane got what in our sport is called cliffed where the dry was really dry to the right and the oil was really slick to the left so if you miss right it overhooks and if you miss in you can miss the head pin if you go watch the match before the day before we were up in the best four out of seven on the left lane and we started off with the front five I believe it was front five or front four, four or five, and we had the game locked, and we would have won in five, and we ended up winning in seven. But we lost on that lane, and nor and so we lose we lose on that lane because Toma missed in on a shot and missed the head pin completely, and then Brooklyn in the tenth frame got one right and it wanted to overhook, so I moved her one and one left, and she missed the head pin completely to the right, and so that tells you how wet dry they are, and when they get like that. It's very difficult to bowl a good score. So in game six, I'm referring to the day before. In game six, we lost game six. And I stayed on the right lane. And my buddy Doug is coach of Youngstown. And he was watching because they had just got eliminated by La Tech. He's watching. And after the match, he's like, 
there has to be some story why you took the right lane. And I told him why. He's like, yeah, I told my girls. There had to be some story. He just lost. You know, we lost 210 to 185 on the right lane, and I stayed on the lane that we lost on. And for some reason, Sam Houston's ball hadn't really seen the cliff yet, but then they saw the cliff in Game 7 we won. So anyhow, getting to the best 4 out of 7 of the when we're down 3-1, I then in Game 7 flipped us and chose the left lane because I had taken the right lane in the five-game Baker match, and we had lost because we could have locked it up in two points. And, you know, sometimes coaches, you know, you're going to make the wrong it, – it's very – lane choice can be very, very difficult because the lane can be better, but then it can flip. You know what I mean? And so you got to be paying attention to that aspect of it as is, way. Hey, when is this lane – maybe it might be better, and when does it change? And so I um, moved us to the left lane, and – you know, Emma Stoll came up there and tripped a four pin on a good shot. Um, I moved her. Van Dynen went up a strike. And then Toma is running out of lane. She's two-handed. She's 500 RPMs. I mean, it's the female version of Jason Belmonte. She's got no lane left. And so I'm like, kid, you got to loft it out there. So she lofts it over the left gutter cap, makes a pretty good shot in four sevens. She spares it. And then Brooklyn left a light seven pin on a good shot, made it. Welch, light mixed. Then Emma gets up there, and I move her one and one left off the four seven, and she just air chucked it right and made a bad shot, and one, two, four spares it. And then Carly off a going dead flush. Her ball likes to read the front a lot, so I moved her one and one, and she just set it short and it overhooked and a six pin. She went through the face, and she made it. So then Toma gets up. And the head official, Rick Barbera, good friend of mine, he's the head official for the NCAA, but he's also the head official for our conference. And I go, hey, Rick, I go, this one's going to go out there a ways. <laughs> and so I told Toma, move 2-0 and left. And I go, kid, you got to throw it almost to the arrows. And she went up there and air chucked it out there and made the shot. And I, I told her before she did it, I was like, kid, I was like, I know you can make this shot. And she made it. So I went to Brooklyn. And after she, Toma made the shot, I was like, okay, I'm going to use this line on Brooklyn and Faith, too, to lock this up. I was like, Brooklyn, I know you can make this shot. There you go. Boom. Strike. Went up to Welch. I go, Welch. I go, I know you can make this shot. It'll be over with. Boom. Strike. Over. And still that know. confidence. Yeah. And it was kind of one of those things. Like, And if you watch Toma, like – if you go back and watch the inside bowl, I told her, I was like, kid, you can make this shot. And her head was like bobbing up and down. It's like she was like ready to go. So it was kind of cool. And, you know, we like I said, we were down 3-1. And, you know, the one thing I would say about all of it is, is you know, our tournament is arguably the conference tournament is, is just as hard to win the national championship or possibly even harder because there's just no no freebies in our conference. And so winning this conference tournament uh, battle-tested us for the uh, national championship, and we've been in matches where we were down and we were able to come back and win, which is a good uh, learning experience and being in that aspect of stuff. And if I, if I believe if we can take that experience and you know don't let the moment be bigger than it is i would tell you i like our chances at the uh at the regional but uh you can't take like i said you can't take anybody for for granted by any means i mean these teams uh you know sacred heart can like i said can beat you they're really good at playing the outside part of the lane so if the outside part of the lane plays we'll be in a battle with them if it gets to the point where the lane has to really hook to the left 
I, I would like our chances, um, but they're really good playing to the right, you know. And then North Carolina A and T's well coached team with Kim Terrell, a Hall of Famer, used to coach junior team USA, and you know, there's they got some good bowlers on that team, and we've had some success against them. We were like seven and one against them on the year, but they did beat us the last match we faced them at uh, Smyrna. But maybe that's a blessing because you know it's kind of like a football team beating a team two and zero, oh, and then they play them in the playoffs. You know they're going to lose. You know it's hard to beat a team three times, and our sport maybe like six seven eight matches is like equivalent to playing a team three times you know you're a former college bowler yourself at nebraska you were the former head coach there as well how many perfect games do you have i have five sanctioned perfect games i've had more than that in practice but uh in tournament play or league play i have five i'm in fact one time i wow i shot back to back 300s i had the first 29 strikes and i actually wasn't even supposed to i was supposed to bowl that day and then i wasn't going to bowl because my youngest brother he was like 13 or 14 at the time he's probably gonna be mad that i say this but he he threw a temper tantrum so i told him i wasn't gonna bowl with him it was a doubles tournament a youth doubles <laughs> at, at 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 my at my eight lane center that i had you uh, had 29 straight strikes yeah i had 29 29 in a row and so i wasn't gonna bowl because he threw this temper tantrum and he kept begging me and begging me i was like okay so go take out the trash go do some stuff show me that you're sorry or whatever and so he did that and then so him and i bowled together and i just i don't know what happened i was just in the zone that day and had the front 29 and then the the 30th one i left a solid nine pin in the pocket or whatever so that's what the third game ended it was actually only 225 so i went front five nine spare strike and then I left a 4-9 in the pocket, and I had moved off the 9-pin, thinking, okay, I need to move because it went just a little high in the pocket, and I missed them completely, and then I went strike, spare, strike, spare out for 225. 825. So I had 825. How did you get into all this stuff? How did you get into bowling? Well, my dad and grandfather owned the bowling center in my hometown. It's Centralia, Washington. It's 90 miles from Seattle, 90 miles from Portland. That's how. Um, that's actually how I got Brooklyn because Brooklyn's from Longview, Washington yeah. originally. So she's forty-five minutes south. Um, but their high school is in our conference. Guy who bowled at my dad's bowling center for a long time. He's the high school coach at Chehalis High School, which is called WF West. In fact, we even had a player on the baseball team from WF West. It was uh, Toby Johnson went to WF West and Chehalis, and so Chehalis and Centralia are connecting towns. Well. A guy named Rich Bunger, a high school coach there, he's like, Justin, he goes, you got to look at this kid. And I was like, okay. And usually when somebody tells me that, I'm just like, okay, whatever. They're not going to be any good. And then so he sent me the video. And, and so she bowls at, she bowled out of Triangle Bowl in Longview. And so my friends owned the bowling center there. And so I called Bo and just kind of did a little research on her, you know, trying to figure out you know some stuff and then so she ended up here but um so anyhow that's how i but i got involved in bowling because my grandfather and so and my great-grandfather on my my dad's mom so my grandmother my dad's mom's side he built an eight-lane bowling center in a town also because he my he owned the hardware shop in centralia chehalis and he built it this eight-laner though in a town called mossy rock where they were putting the dam and so my grandfather, because he was married to my grandmother, became the mechanic there. And then that's how my grandfather then ended up becoming the mechanic at the bowling center in Australia, which was the biggest center in the area. And mechanics back then were kind of seen as really important because pin setters were brand new at this time. This was in 1962. 
63. And so then my grandfather got the bowling alley in, in 1964 because the guy who had built it or whatever just couldn't handle the, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people. You know, you're a people pleaser when you own a bowling center. And a lot of people complain about a lot of things like lane conditions and stuff like that. And so my grandfather just ended up getting it because he was the mechanic. And, you know, the guy went to him and was like, hey, do you want it? And my grandma was like, well, I don't have any money. And the guy was like, just put your farm up for collateral. It's yours. So my grandfather put his farm up for collateral and he got it. And then, so I got involved that way. And then my mom and dad ended up getting divorced. And my mom ended up marrying a guy who's 39th on the PBA money list all time. And so went to a lot of bowling stuff when I was 11, 12. You know, my stepfather made a lot of TV shows. He's, you know, like I said, he's got seven national titles. Could possibly get in the Hall of Fame now that they've redone some categories and stuff like that. And then um, the other thing is, is on my mom's side. So that's all, you know, my dad's side and then my stepfather's side or whatever. But then on my mom's side, my cousin, Darryl Cox, he was the first person in Washington State to ever win a national title. And he won in 62 and 63. When he won in 62, he actually beat Billy Hardwick, who was obviously from Memphis. You know, you have Hardwick all-star lanes in Memphis there. He beat Hardwick. And him and Hardwick didn't like each other when this all was going on or whatever. And they were having a little rivalry in the tournament. They just first met each other. But Hardwick didn't have a ride to the next event. And this tournament paid 3000 for first, which back then you could buy a house, you know. <laughs> you know, So it was a lot of money. It paid for a car. So Darryl won a car. And the other thing that it paid for was a yearly supply. You got one case a week. You got a yearly supply of Miller Lite. And so Hardwick didn't have a ride, so Daryl gave him a ride, and Hardwick and him drank the Miller Lite all the way to the next tour stop. <laughs> and so I've just been in bowling my whole life, and I've been around some successful they people. They just front him the 52 cases. and They just gave him one case. Oh, okay. Yeah, they gave him one case to take in the thing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, if it would have been the whole 52, they would have never made it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been here since, what, the 09-10 season. How proud are you of what you've been able to build as a program? I also want you to kind of take this opportunity to brag about the facilities that you have now. You have a very unique setup now over at the social with the bowling lanes there and the locker room that you have in place now as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously at the social it allows us to uh, set down spares and do stuff. And we're going to add some stuff, I think, at some point too. You know, I want to get um, I want to get second delay stuff, some video stuff in there. And there's some other stuff that like to add that's kind of on the wish list that I think that we'll end up getting at some point. But um, the locker room aspect of stuff is pretty cool where – probably we're the only team in all of college bowling and then we got full kitchen in the players lounge you know and so you know and i i felt like it was kind of important to do something like that actually because you know just having a female team we can do a lot of team bonding and meals and stuff like that and so uh, i thought that was really important and on that side but you know you're talking about being here for as long as i've been here now since 2009 so you know basically 14 years and i would say that you know uh making it every year and being a prominent and always i would always just say you have to be in it to win it you know and so we've had the opportunity to win it all the time um unfortunately you know the highest we've gotten to is second i would like to finish off that job you know that's obviously the end goal when you're competitive but i'd also say you know it's uh it's difficult you know you got a guy 
we got to go back to March Madness a little bit. You got a guy, and obviously I'm from Washington State. You got a guy like Mark Few, who's obviously up there every year, and he hasn't won. You know what I mean? And so it's very difficult to win a to win a championship. You know, you got to have a little luck on your side and have things go your way. But uh, you know, I'm definitely proud of the work of the aspect of having the chance to win every year and being able to recruit and you know kind of find and you know I take pride in also trying to. F- I don't always get the number one recruit you know i find people who help turn into the number one recruit or look at them and say hey this potential this person can be you know a first team all-american type deal it's not always you know i mean brooklyn buchanan i was one of the only ones to recruit her um Maggie Toma, one of the only ones recruiter. Emma Stoll, one of the only ones recruiter. You know, Faith Welch, same thing. And, you know, Sarah Sains was heavily recruited. Van Dynan was pretty heavily recruited. Nebraska, Sam Houston, us were all recruiting her. And so I, I just kind of, you know, I take a little pride in the aspect of not always having to – I just don't feel like I always have to get who would the chalk best player. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I find maybe who actually is the best player, you know, and – but – for that to take place and to really echelon that in you got to finish the job and so at some point we got to finish i appreciate what you you said about you know you're you're finding you're not just grabbing the recruiting rankings wherever those exist or you know putting in terms of football basketball now with that said this program is one which every kid in the country will take your phone call right yeah i mean yes i mean obviously i i mean jillian martin was technically the number one recruit last year right and she's at nebraska i mean i obviously had recruiting conversations with jillian you know and so there's there's people that uh will definitely like i it's not that i'm gonna get ignored obviously if i call somebody but at the same point you know sometimes it's about right fit finding the right one you know sometimes it can be just you're playing a you're someone you're playing a money game too you know like we're an equivalency sport does the kid have really good academic money can i combine the two you know there's just more there's more to it than just you know because okay if she doesn't have really good academic money then i'm gonna have to pay her more to get her you know what i mean so you're always trying to find kind of the right fit when you know when you're in the recruiting process of will they fit in here will they listen can you make them better what's the potential What's it going to cost me? All these aspects of things. It's not just, okay, I want this person, you know, and it's going to end up being what it's going to be. And then, like I said, we may not be the right fit for them. You know, they may be looking for certain things and we may not have that. And so I I really try to just try to look at that. But like I was, you know, the one aspect of it is, is for you really to echelon yourself and doing something a little bit differently or or whatnot you know that's like maggie toma i was the first one to really take a really good female two-hander and so you know i take the like i said it's adapt or die you got to be ahead of the game and maybe maybe this will be maybe maybe maggie is the one thing or the one piece you know and i'm not singling her out but maybe it's the one piece of doing something differently that we needed to get over the hump you know what i mean like i am not somebody who's going to play groundhog day like I am not going to do that. I will, I will do something differently to try and win. You know, if I think that it makes sense. You know, and and so, 
I think too many people get set in their ways. And I'm just like, you know, and I come from Nebraska where Bill Straub was very regimented, one style. You know, they used to call, I mean, they used to make fun of Nebraska. They used to call them the clone clone huskers or ball tall fall wall that everybody looks the same. And so, I mean, I, I literally am not going to play Groundhog Day if I feel like I can, you know. And so Maggie Toma was somebody who... I was like, okay, I mean, you know, and I recruited another one, which just ended up not being able to make it here for for reasons or whatever. I, I just kind of felt like I was like, you know what, I'm going to do something different. And I, I'm all about whatever it takes to try something different because, like, if you keep doing the same, if your results end up the same, right, if you literally, if your results end up the same, why are you doing the same thing over and over again? Exactly. I mean, I like that, like and definition I, of insanity. That's the definition of insanity. And I believe not singling out coaches too much, but I believe too many coaches live in their own realm and are not willing to think outside the box. I was a huge, huge when I was in college at Nebraska in 1999 and 2000. I was a huge Bill James EQA way ahead of the game you know people don't understand I mean I know he was doing steroids but people have no idea how good a season that Barry Bonds had that year I mean it's insane when you put up the numbers and he was doing it in Pac Bell which was the hardest ballpark to hit in for a left-handed hitter the, the it's astronomically the best season of all time it's not it's not even in the realm now obviously you want to say he cheated okay i understand that but if you're just looking at sheer numbers it's not even in the realm and so i was big into the eqa all the war all that aspect of stuff of bill james and sabermetrics way before moneyball even thought of existing as a movie you know and when he uses the line adapt or die or if you you're gonna get beat by you know fortune cookie wisdom billy or, you know gonna get think like the Yankees in here you're gonna get beat by the Yankees out there you have to think differently and I just that's where I think that I can be successful at because I'm just not set in my own ways a little bit different this year as far as the national finals of course you got the regionals in Rochester this week but finals in Las Vegas that's pretty neat yeah yeah so in bowling we have two arenas well we have three we have three arenas where they just had the USBC Masters, which was on TV yesterday in Detroit. There is a 94 lane center, but 20 of the lanes has its own arena. OK, it's called Thunder Bowl in uh, Allen Park, Michigan. But then we have two other arenas. We have the National Bowling Stadium in Reno, which the national championship is there next year. And then we also have a, an arena in the South Point Casino a guy named Mike Moniak who's from Tacoma, Washington, by the way. So I know I don't know Mike personally, but he, my stepfather knows him pretty well. And Mike Moniak was the person who ran uh, the South Point. He's retired now, but he ran the bowling side of stuff for the South Point Casino, and he was the one who got the arena built in the South Point. And so we have an arena in the South Point, and it's going to be a cool environment if we can get there, you know, but can't. One step at a time. We got to take care of Sacred Heart, and then whoever we face after that, we got to take care of them. And you know, if you were to lose a match, you got to take care of them and finish out winning the regional. I mean, that's the main. The main goal is just figuring out how to get out of there. We'll worry about Vegas when we get there. Better bowling movie: The Big Lebowski or Kingpin? Obviously, they are both uh, making fun of bowling in some aspects of stuff. But um, if you just appreciate just the aspect of the humor. 
I like Kingpin. I mean, the one line where, I mean, me, I joke about this a lot of times, is the one line where they're asking Munson or whatever, like, what have you been doing the last 20 years? And he's like, drinking, a lot of drinking. And they're like, you drinking now? No, why? You buying? <laughs> and so, I mean, I mean, it's just funny. I mean, but, I mean, if you were to tell me the best bowling one, uh, it's not a total bowling movie, but it has some bowling in it. It was with Michael J. Fox or whatever, the movie Greedy with Kurt Douglas. That had some bowling in it at the very, very beginning of okay. it. Because uh, Michael J. Fox is a pro bowler at, in the in the movie, and but he has wrist trouble. And But anyhow, uh, I liked as a true just some aspects of bowling, at least at the beginning. That one was pretty good. And then, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's a humorous thing. And then we just had a sitcom for a while. They did a on tom smallwood they had a sitcom on a uh cbs or whatever and made it like 13 episodes but then they ended up canceling it but it was a pretty cool little show that they had on there too you ever see the show ed uh the i never wa- alley lawyer yeah i never watched yeah. that yeah i watched that one that was good you know you they used to have a lot of bowling and uh obviously married with children and uh that's right and, uh, and family matters al bundy was a he was a <laughs> family matters. family matters had well yeah, yeah family matters and the, the original though the, the flintstones or, yeah well yeah i guess that's technically important the other big bowling episode of andy griffith too you know, yeah it comes down to whether howard sprague really bowled a 300 or not because the lights went out but the on one the thing I, shot. the one thing i would tell you about bowling that people don't understand i would most people would not believe you if you told people this in 1976, who made more money, Reggie Jackson or Or Anthony? And Reggie Jackson was the highest-paid baseball player in the world, and Earl Anthony made more money than he did. Wow! And then, and I would not believe that. Though. You would not believe that. And 1980, the number one rated TV show in the United States was PBA Bowling. It went up against the college football game of the week. There were times that they flipped. But bowling had a rating of nine point one or nine point two, oh, and most people, baby, and most people wouldn't believe that either if you tell them that. Yeah, I mean that, that Saturday afternoon watching bowling was was, was serious business. Yeah. yeah, I mean heck yeah. Well, hopefully uh, we've got some bowling to watch and plenty of it coming yeah. up very soon in the NCAA tournament. We appreciate you coming by and visiting with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's Justin Kostick, head coach of the Ace Day Bowling Team. We've got more to come on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Another busy week ahead in A-State Athletics. Spring football in action Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And then, do want to mention this, we had to cancel one of our live with the red wolves shows out at lost pizza during basketball season due to inclement weather we had severe weather one night so we had to shut it down so what we've done you know we wanted to make up the show and decided that hey we're going to do this the week of the spring football game and we'll do that Monday night, 6 to 7 at Lost Pizza on Southwest Drive. So looking forward to hanging out with Coach Jones and 
having uh, maybe a player or two out there as well and talking about spring practice and pack day, which is coming up on yep. April 15th. Pack day, still taking entries uh, into the Cornhole Tournament. Go to the website, astateredwolves.com. Are we getting a lot of entries for I that? I believe so, yeah. Uh, still lining up food vendors out there. I tell you, we, we'll talk, obviously, in more detail about this next week. But uh, there's some local food vendors. In fact, Lost Pizza Company is one of them. It's going to be out there that day. It's some right. other area places like that and a couple of food trucks. There's a food truck. Heck, I'll probably try them all before the day is done. But there's a food truck coming to Pack Day that specializes in grilled cheese sandwiches. Oh, I love me a good grilled cheese. Yeah. Well, so I'm looking forward to checking That's that out. Another reason to come out to Pack Day on April 15th. But again, live with the Red Wolves coming up Monday at 6. And, and word is, there. I don't know. We'll see. I have no idea what his schedule is, so don't hold me to this. But I believe if Coach Hodson, Hodson. is in town, he may be live with the Red Wolves on that Monday That would be night. pretty neat. All right, so many reasons to come out there. And, of course, if you can't make it out, you can hear it on 107.9 K-Fine and some of our affiliates across – the network uh, baseball team not going to Fayetteville this week. They were scheduled to be in Arkansas or at Arkansas on Tuesday night. The threat of inclement yeah. weather shutting that down. So the Red Wolves now will get ready for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. I, I love that they went to this a few years back where we don't play on Easter Sunday. We're going to be home thursday at six friday at six and then saturday at one against troy so big series and you know we talk about how well the red wolves did play at times this past week they need to build on that here Uh, yes absolutely it's time to see if you can carry the momentum over to that series student activities uh, is going to be there they got a big uh, sab night thursday night uh, Saturday, when the gates open, we'll uh, probably, by, when the gates open, hopefully we'll have uh, already had a couple of hundred Easter eggs hidden out in the ballpark. All right. Saturday afternoon. So fun stuff coming up this weekend against Troy. Track and field at the Joe Walker Invitational in Oxford. I don't know if there's any other meets this week. Maybe they'll all be together. <laughs> wow. Or most of them, at least. The tennis team. With uh, three matches this week, they'll be at SEMO on Wednesday. Home Friday at 2 against Coastal Carolina. Then another match on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. against Georgia Southern. And then the men's golf team will be in action coming up uh, this coming Monday and Tuesday at the Tiger Collegiate Invitational in Columbia, Missouri. Anything else we need to mention here? Man, listen, coming off the weekend and the week that is, this would have been a day like – as we recorded this on monday it would have been a good day to have a sports talk show i mean there was there's so much stuff you can talk about and of all the sports and things i watched and listened to over the weekend the men's final four was not any of it yeah Didn't see a second of the men's final four <laughs> well at san diego state i saw i FAU saw that shot pretty good i saw yeah. yeah i saw that shot i watched a lot of the women's national championship game sunday afternoon it's a shame that like Early on, all the conversation was only about the officiating. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it pivoted to kind of some of the stuff after the game with the John Cena, you can't see me. Did I mean, you appreciate that? So, yeah. So, I mean, look, Caitlin Clark, who kind of put the whole thing on her back, right? And, she, and had women's college basketball playing on the biggest stage she's ever played on. She literally had sort of taken the country by storm. She's a superstar. 
she did that when they were in the process of beating South Carolina. One point, and I don't think it was if it was at somebody, it wasn't on camera. But she the it was against camera, Louisville, right? Okay, okay, may probably both of I'm guessing if I, where she held with the the you can't see right. Okay, so you know Angel Reese is star for LSU, leads the nation in offensive rebounds, and had broke the single season record with her 34th double double of the year in the national championship game. Mm-hmm. The game is winding down, and it's clear LSU's going to win. It shows her once, along the free throw block, pointing at her ring finger and hitting Caitlin Clark. I mean, they're side by side, basically, and hit her with a, you can't see me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay, I'll give you that one. But then it like goes on, and like a little bit later, it, here she is again, and it's, she's seemingly just walking up and down the floor following Caitlin Clark around just to keep pointing at her ring, ring finger and hitting her with the you can't see me. And I don't have a big hot take on it, it, what that means about that kid or what that means about LSU. I thought, boy, it's unfortunate that she has that ISO shot on her, you know, from a camera standpoint. Because mm-hmm. the one, I, I, I gave her the one. <laughs> but it's, when you go back to the second time and it, and it, and it feels like you're kind of just following the kid around, it's like, I wish you were more interested in celebrating with your teammates. I get that, but no, nothing more, nothing less. It's not. I don't know. It, don't, it doesn't speak to the kid's character or the LSU program or nothing. It's there's a lot of stupid takes coming out of that. It's just you know, unfortunately, the, the, these kids now you, you got that many eyeballs on you, and there's always a camera. I'll be interested to see when the final television ratings come out. If there were more people watching the women's Final Four than the men's Final Four, which from the sounds of it, I mean, the social media, there's more people talking about the women's side. And I don't recall that ever being a conversation. It does my heart good because you know how much I love the sport of women's basketball. So, I mean, like to just open social media this weekend and like every other post, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever, it seemed like every other post was talking about the women's final four and Caitlin Clark and certainly Sunday afternoon more than every other post was grabbing about the officials. That really did my heart good. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, you know, by the way, that's, you, that's right up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you had that, you had WrestleMania this weekend, the national championship game as we tape this is tonight in the men's side. I'm not going to watch that either because it's the Raw after WrestleMania, the biggest Raw of the year, <laughs> and it's Masters Week. Well, you got your priorities in place, buddy. Masters Week on top of that, which makes my wife happy. We've got this little sign, you know, that you can put letters on, right? A little felt, and you stick the letters on there. Well, uh, last weekend, not the weekend before last now, my wife's over there changing the sign. And I had no clue what she was doing. All of a sudden, she's real proud. She finishes the sign, sticks it on the stand, and the sign says, it is Master's Week. I said, that's really great. But it's not. That's next week. (laughs) Well, I appreciate her enthusiasm. I love where your heart is. Love it. But uh, you're a week ahead. So now it's Master's Week. That's why I said last night, watching WrestleMania, I said, it's WrestleMania tonight. When we wake up tomorrow, it's Master's Week. Also known as... A hell of a great time to be Jim Nance. It really is. Hey, and glad they're recognizing him as they should, as he calls his final final four. Yeah. This week. I do Houston. sort of wish I wish Houston would have been in it because that's his alma mater and right. final fours in Houston. I mean, and he he was talking uh beforehand how he 
would sort of be nervous about calling Houston in the final four. I bet he would. He doesn't have to worry about it. He does not. Appreciate uh, Justin Kostick coming in. Enjoyed our visit with him. Thanks to Mark Taylor for setting that interview up for us. For Brad, I'm Matt. Have a great week, everybody.